there were stereo yays that happened, one from there and one from there. So uh, all of you uh, parents that are, uh, and siblings that are um, doing a Herculean effort of holding on to all the wiggly excitement that's not normally uh, used to being in a church service, I see you, I love you, I have my own three right over there, and so this won't go long because Jen has an increasingly panicked look on her face of exactly how long the two-year-old and the four-year-old will last before they start um, extemporaneously preaching themselves. So you're fine. One thing that I will mention that I did forget to mention at the very beginning of the service, um, I am a, I'm, I'm a bit old school when it comes to candles. I particularly think that candles are a privilege and not a right. So what that means is... Um, if you as a parent um, would not uh, trust your child around sharp objects, open flames um, in another person's house, exercise caution. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of a passage that I want to consider tonight um, but before I get there, um, we should probably talk for a second about my really pathetic knowledge of Christmas movies. Apparently, this is becoming quite epic. Um, and, and let me go ahead and say this now. My disclosing of my lack of seeing this, these Christmas movies is not a cry for help nor is it a request to borrow your personal copy. It's just the way it is. I have never seen in one sitting any Christmas movie that you can mention, whether it be Miracle on 34th Street. I've not seen White Christmas. I have not seen It's a Wonderful Life. Nor have I seen in one sitting all the way through Die Hard. Yes, Margaret, it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> and realistically, I've also not, I'm not 100% confident that I've seen uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas all the way through, but I think I have. I think I have. There's that one scene in Charlie Brown's uh, Christmas movie where Linus tells Charlie the meaning of Christmas. He goes, spotlight. And begins to recount what? He recounts the narrative in Luke, doesn't he? And some of us are, are still astonished that schools will let this uh, particular cartoon be played because, oh my goodness, they're talking about Jesus. But I have to be honest with you, that that particular passage in Luke, when we read it, right, and the particular passage in Luke chapter 2, around verse 10, when the angels are talking to the shepherds, do you remember what it was? Because um, Carrie read it this, uh, this evening, it's not this morning, it's this evening, Carrie read it this evening where the angels encountered the birth of Jesus, and they were terrified, right? They were terrified. So let's talk for just a second about what this passage is really maybe saying to us. Because I don't think it's a passage that should evoke Charlie Brown, 
nor do I think it's a passage that ought to evoke children in bathrobes. We've all been there. We've seen the beautiful reenactments of kids wearing bathrobes dressed up as shepherds. Those who are directing the kids in the bathrobes wearing the shepherds are hoping that the one kid with the shepherd crook doesn't take a swing at the other kid not looking. Now, here's the thing. This is a passage not of quaint sentimentality. It's a passage that ought to evoke a response of terror. But that's not a very popular Christmas theme to preach on. And it wasn't just because the shepherds were startled, right? It wasn't because the shepherds were merely startled. We get that there was something happening. We get that all of a sudden it was dark out and then there was a brilliant light. But see, here's the thing. If you go back and you look in the witness of the scriptures, you'll find something very significant. All throughout the Bible, when people encounter God, the response that is evoked is one of fear. Why is that? Why is it that that fear is the response that is evoked? Well, there's several reasons, right? One, all of a sudden there is a sense in which you are painfully aware that you are not worthy and in the presence of one who is supremely worthy. And that's true. But it goes back a little bit farther than that. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, listen to what we see recorded in Scripture. Because we were designed to be in a perfect relationship with God, and this is the part where it all went wrong. Listen to what it says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God. This is Adam and Eve. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And do you know what he said? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What was the source of his fear? Ultimately, what was the source of his fear? Think about it. If you were made to be in perfect communion with God, right? You had nothing to, uh, you had nothing to wonder about. You had nothing to worry about. You had nothing to question. Every single day, you were in perfect fellowship, perfect communion with God. And then all of a sudden, that went away. Now, you have to worry about predators. You have to worry about where your food is coming from. You have to worry that you are now in charge of your life. Do you know what that does? That creates fear. It creates fear. And now all of a sudden, that relationship between you and God is broken. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had um, a relational falling out with someone before? 
Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a coworker. And you never really patched things up, but things were definitely not the way they used to be. What is it like when you get around that other person? Is it comfortable? Or are you just looking for a way to run away? Imagine that now on an eternal scale. The relationship between you and God fractured. It evokes fear. The fear is both because you're in the presence of God, but also because you don't fundamentally trust God. You ultimately are living as the one who is in charge of your own life. As one scholar put it, if in order to be at peace, we need to be in control, beholden to no one, then we will constantly be afraid because we learn as life goes on that we are at the mercy of people and forces that we can neither predict nor manage. But in this passage, as the shepherds are afraid, the, sh- the angel says something remarkable to them. The angel says to them, you don't have to be afraid if you look at what I'm showing you. Look at what it says. In verse 10 of chapter 2 of Luke, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, look, I bring you good news of great joy. Look. The angel says, literally, do not be fearing, rather be perceiving. Do not be fearing, rather be perceiving. What does that mean? Let me, let me pose this. To the degree that we look, that we fix our gaze, that we behold, that we internalize, to that degree, our lives will not be undermined by fear. So do you remember those posters They were the 3D posters that had this random array of colors and whatever. And they said if you stared at just the right place and crossed your eye and touched your nose and stood on one foot, I don't know. I could never see them. This is why I think that you had to do something that I clearly didn't get clued in on. Some of you are like, oh, look, three frogs having tea. And I go, I see nothing. Space shuttle, still nothing. Um, There's a sense in which fixing your gaze and being able to see rightly unlocks things that you've never been able to see before. The angel didn't just say, look abstractly, though. The angel said, don't be fearing, instead be perceiving what? For behold, this day I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel is saying, look, look at what has happened. Look at what God has done. Look at what you can see. God forsook all control. 
God forsook all control, all safety to become one of us. He clothed himself in our flesh, in the humanity of infancy, in the fragility of humanity, in order to be our rescuer. And if God himself is willing to do that for us, we can trust him with all of our fears. All right. Last thought. In 1961... In 1961, the Russians put the first man into space, um, Yuri Gagarin, okay? So the Russian premier at that time um, said that when Gagarin went into space, the cosmonaut discovered that there was no God there. C.S. Lewis, in response wrote an article entitled The Seeing Eye. And in that article, Lewis said that if there is a God who created us, we could not discover him by going up into the air. God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. How would God relate to us? This is what Lewis said. Lewis said that God would relate to us the way that Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world and of Hamlet himself. Hamlet can know about Shakespeare only if the author reveals information about himself in the play. So the only way to know about God is if God reveals himself. The claim of Christmas, beloved, is infinitely more wonderful than that. God did not merely write us information about himself. He wrote himself into the drama of history. He came into our world as Jesus Christ to save us, to die for us. What the shepherds were told of and later saw that night changed them and they were never the same. Beloved, listen. If you have seen Jesus, if you have encountered him, if you have trusted him, if you have beheld him, you are not the same. You are different. You are no longer bound to a story where you are self-serving, self-seeking, and self-absorbed. You don't have to be afraid any longer about what you cannot control because you have seen that God gave up everything for you. Because he loves you. My dear friends, the real question that is before us tonight as we are invited to once again come to Bethlehem and see Christ the Lord, the newborn king, is what is it that you are fixing your gaze on? What is it that you're fixing your gaze on? I'm not saying that um, if you are a Christian your life becomes easier or less complicated. I'm saying that if you fix your eyes on Jesus and continue to gaze and dwell deeply, you can know and you can see, you can behold and you can experience the fact that God gave up everything for you to make you one with him. And if God would do that, there indeed is no reason to fear. Look, behold, see Christ.
the king.